Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Rachel Conroy, and today we hear from Emma Carter, Head of Fundraising and Sustainability at Air Ambulances UK, and Lauren Kemp, Senior Sustainability Manager at the Linden Gate Mental Health Charity. In this episode, we talk to Lauren and Emma about what it means to be young leaders in the charity sector with a key focus on fundraising leadership. Both Emma and Lauren talk openly and candidly about their experiences of being young leaders and give practical tips to both people who are looking to make the move into leadership and organisations who want to welcome more young leaders. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. So let's get to it. Here is Emma and Lauren. Hi there. I'm delighted to be joined by Emma Carter and Lauren Kemp for my inaugural stint as host for Charity Chat. So please be nice to me, guys, as uh, we work through this one together. Uh, So Emma and Lauren, welcome. How are you both? Good, thanks. Good luck. You'll smash your first podcast, I am sure. Yeah, of all the people I know that are going to be good at this sort of thing, it's definitely you, Rachel. Thanks, guys. And for the listener, I did not pay them anything um, to say that. So (laughs) thank you. Um, So let's crack into it then. So Emma, what is your background and how did this lead you to become the head of fundraising and sustainability at Air Ambulances UK? So I've been in fundraising 10 years now, and that's that's quite scary to say that. I don't feel old enough to have done 10 years. Um, You don't look it either. Thanks. Thanks. So, yeah, so I originally, when I graduated, I started working with an MP, decided it wasn't for me. But what I did really enjoy doing was working with lots of different charities in the community. So I set out and I found a fundraising job and I never really intended to have a 10 year stint in charities. But I loved it from the moment I started. I loved it. I love working with the people you know, doing something that you're passionate about. So I started off as a fundraising coordinator at my local air ambulance charity. And then by the time I'd left, I'd made head of fundraising, which I'd done for three years. And then I left to go to the national air ambulance charity. So essentially I've done 10 years being obsessed with helicopters, um, which is quite unusual. Um, And I actually left and I took a step back and I did a role Um, called Charity Development Manager, we were looking to unify with the Air Ambulance Trade Association. So I did lots of governance, lots of finance. Actually, it's really, really helped understand from a different perspective. When you're fundraising, you tend to be focused on your role and not kind of like that whole organisation in-depth knowledge about the governance the finance and all those compliance bits and pieces and then we did a restructure I think it was last year and I was promoted again to head of fundraising and sustainability so I look after not only fundraising but also membership as we're the trade body for air ambulances it's a bit of an unusual fundraising job I would say. Brilliant thanks Emma really interesting and Lauren how has your career path led you to your current position um, as Senior Sustainability Manager at Linden Gate Mental Health Charity? I, I think it's um, a standard thing for fundraisers to say, I didn't mean to end up 
I think that most fundraisers end up saying that. So um, similar to Emma, I've been a fundraiser for 12 years now. Um, again, makes me feel incredibly old and it's a bit scary. Um, I started off by, um, I ran the elections at, um, when I was at university to become um, a sabbatical officer. Um, and what most people don't know is that um, student unions are run by sabbatical officers, but they're also charities. Um, and what was great about that was that it automatically makes you a trustee of um, students union. And you ju it's just a, a year long contractual role. And in that role, I worked really hard with volunteers doing some incredible things just to uh, keep the students union going, but to also provide opportunities through sports. And I absolutely loved it. Uh, and that found me into the charity sector. So I then went to um, a wonderful charity called the Royal National Mission to Deep Sea Fishermen, which was an interesting charity to, <laughs> to fundraise for. I'm sure you can imagine um, as a, um, I was a community fundraiser there. And then I've worked at five different charities now, specializing in community events and then developing through to more management positions. So head of community and events and and then adding corporate fundraising to my bow and then moving to a director of fundraising where actually what I really enjoy is the management and of a team and making them as efficient and as effective. And but also actually what's really important to me is to get them to enjoy what they're doing mm. and it to be, you know, to, for them to enjoy everything I loved about fundraising. Um, and then I find myself at Linden Gate um, where my ambition has always been to be a chief executive. Um, so I'm now professionalizing the fundraising team, um, making um, them much more efficient at Linden Gate in terms of their actual fundraising, but then also bringing in overall charitable management and strategy to support Linden Gate as a whole. Great. Thanks, Lauren. And um, I love what you said there about, you know, making your team do what you love. And also thank you uh, for sharing your ambitions to become a CEO always great to hear a, a woman on the call saying that she yeah. wants to become a CEO definitely um so as you two uh you know are young leaders as the topic of this um podcast dictates um what do you feel young leaders can bring to fundraising and the wider charity sector so I'll open the floor and, and leave you two to bounce off each other for this one <laughs> that's a big question um yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the first thing that strikes me um, um, through that question is what I learned quite a lot. My, my um, previous role was um, director of fundraising at um, St. Wilfrid's Hospice. And I'm forever thankful and grateful to them for giving me that opportunity to step up to a director role and sit on senior management, you know, eff effectively sit alongside a, a chief executive and learn so much um but what it really meant for them and what I kind of want the charity sector to sort of to realize what they get with a young leader is the amount of diversity um that a young person can bring to an organization at board level it kind of, it, yeah. it, it brings so much to the whole organization and and if you ask them now, what did they learn from giving me that opportunity? Well, actually, it seems really silly, but a good example is we were discussing uniform policy. And it's really interesting, actually, the age demographic 
opinion on things like uniform and how that changes from a, a young leader to an older leader. Um, but that's, you know, that's uniforms, obviously quite a trivial thing, but actually it was really important in different ways through workforce retention, through strategy, um, all manner of different things and from the way we worked to, to those little sort of extra things that actually maybe uniforms feels trivial, but actually if you're comfortable with how you, you, you dress and go to work and have to do 12 hour shifts on, that, that can be a quite a game changer to people. So I think what they learned was actually the diversity of having someone younger meant that they got a much broader view on the entire workforce rather than just a stereotypical older view um, across the board. Yeah, and I think it's uh, great to have examples, Laura, and that's really good. And don't think it's trivial at all. Like you said, it, it impacts so many different things. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think I, I completely agree with Lauren that and there's been such a movement to get young trustees onto boards in charities. I don't think there's been a similar movement to get young leaders yet. Obviously, there's the CIOF Future Leaders course, which is how we all met, which is a great course. Um, but that's like one of very, very few examples to progress, you know, young people. And that's not necessarily young people either. And I think it brings like Lauren said, it's a different perspective. You have a different opinion on things. And I think diversity of thought is so integral to an mm -hmm. organization's development. You can't have that singular thought because you're all from the same generation. So having those different perspectives really allows you to make the right decision for the organization. And something like Lauren said, as simple as uniform can actually have such a huge impact on how someone feels in their day-to-day -day work. So I think it's, yeah, definitely different perspectives and diversity. But then I also think, like, talking from past experience, there's that huge willingness to learn as well and to innovate. We don't just want to do the same things. We want to make sure that, you know, we're developing teams and making sure they perform as best as possible, but also yeah. that they innovate and support the organisation in keeping with what's happening in the outside world, looking for new areas. I'm not saying that older leaders don't do that, but I think there is that more of a drive to making sure we do that. Yeah, great. I Thanks, think, Emma. Oh, go on, sorry, I Lauren. Think, I think also, um, you know, my board would probably say that they were quite thankful in a way because there's that eagerness to learn and develop in different ways from young leaders that, you know, they gave me the opportunity to take on things like I was managing um, the risk um, working group with the trustees. I was heading up well-being um, areas that are obviously not um, just in within fundraising, but actually it was another pair of hands to take on mm -hmm. a different area of the organisation. And, and that was so helpful as well, rather than it all sort of falling on the same people all of the time. I think also um, a lot of the time, I think when you go to interviews for that or, or step up to those sorts of next level roles, um, everyone talks about experience. Oh, you need this much experience, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And, and don't get me wrong. Of course, you need to have fundraising experience because how else are you going to develop a fundraising structure, um, strategy? But what the opposite to experience means that actually you're not held back 
by this is the way we've always done things. Uh, and what comes with that is out of the box thinking and um, a much more willingness to take a little bit of a risk because we all know in fundraising it is about a little bit of risk a lot of the time um, to, to do exactly to do something different because actually um, there isn't that you know 20 30 years of experience that says oh um, perhaps I'm going to be cautious over this even though it's sort of a new you know look at the, what's happened with virtual fundraising over the last couple of years there isn't that such sort of hold back and keeping in the box while a young leader is much more likely to take it forward and give it a go think as well like my old CEO who is very wise once said to me we're talking about this whole concept of young leaders and I was very young when I became head of fundraising I, I think I was at 26 so quite an unusual age and he said that actually age is only a number and it doesn't dictate your competencies you could be 20 30 years older than I was but that doesn't make you any more of a competent leader it's actually those skills that you've got that some of them which can't be taught that make you a competent young leader and fundraising leader. I also think you're more likely to sit on other boards mm. and other networks and you bring those expertise in as well. So, you know, I would, uh, when I was working for the hospice, I would absolutely sit on the um, hospice fundraisers boards and um, we had networks of Southern directors um, uh all sorts of different networks where you'd bring in so much more information from other charities to support your work. And I think that's probably more likely among young leaders. Yeah, great. Thanks, guys. Go on, Emma, are we going to add something no, else there? No, I completely agree. And that it's having those experiences, like being trustees of organisations, sitting on committees, that actually really makes you a stronger leader. And a lot of the time when you are a young leader, you've got the time to be able to do that and the willingness yeah some amazing stuff there guys I think yeah definitely the part about your kind of diversity of um, your network and what you're doing is massive Lauren to your point about innovation I think that's really important and it's kind of been a buzzword in the sector for a long time so what does that actually mean how can you actually achieve that and I think coming back to what we were first talking about in terms of, you know, EDI's massive on everyone's agenda, um, is, is age always considered in that? Potentially not. So how can, how can organisations uh, look at that better as well? Thank you, guys. And some really, some really positive things to take from that. Um, so moving in a slightly different direction, I'm going to ask you, uh, do you ever feel you've been discriminated against as a young leader? And what did that look like as far as you are willing to share? So I would say yes, especially in interview process. That's where I've definitely felt that more than any other place. So, and I think Lauren's had very similar as well. So I was interviewing for a fundraising director role and one of, I think it was a trustee said to me, well, how do you expect um, your team to respect you? And how would you manage a team when you, when you are so significantly younger than them and I um, remember speak and I could even tell you where I was when I spoke to the recruitment consultant that's how vivid it sticks out in my mind and he was like they really should not be asking you questions like that that is discrimination they can see your age and your experience from your CV 
you're covering that up they knew that when they interviewed you so yeah. I think definitely in that recruitment process I felt it yeah, I think also reg- like even even if they pick, uh, say the question more let's call it politically correctly uh, in my experience you will you will be asked that question in whatever format it comes in I have never not been asked that question uh we've got a diverse workforce of all ages how um are you going to manage those more experienced members of the team is usually what you get asked Um, yeah yeah um i also have been asked nearly on every interview um how are you going to have the gravitas to be able to manage uh, others uh, across the organisation? Um, and, and you know exactly what they're really, really asking or implying there. Um, and it, it comes up again and again. Um, and in, in, I had one particular experience, and, and Emma's absolutely right. For me, where it really comes out is, um, is, in, is in interview and opportunities. Um, I was interviewed once um, and I actually walked out of the interview because uh, it was an older male chief executive and an older male trustee. And the moment I walked into the room, you you could visually see them go, well, it's not going to be her, is it? Mm. Um, And you could see that written all over their face and, you know, they asked two questions. The chief executive started playing on his phone. Um, and and those questions were the first questions straight away. Um, and uh, in the end, uh, I said, I, I really don't think this is appropriate for either of us. It's not going to work. Um, and it was really annoying because I travelled two hours. I think that was yeah. important. Like, it's a red flag, isn't it? When people ask that, that's not the organisation you want to be part of so as much as they're interviewing you they're also showing what their organizational culture is and that's not somewhere that I would want to work I want to be respected of my because of my ability not because of my age yeah definitely and I think you're right like you know the interview process on a slightly different note is as much about the interviewee as it is about the interviewer um, and ironically, Lauren, you probably showed your strength uh, by mm, being very definitely. decisive in that moment and saying, yeah. actually, this isn't this isn't the right opportunity. And you showed why you'd be a good leader, because you're willing to make uh, the tough decisions when they need to be made as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. That makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> the other right. times I've had it and there's one comment that sticks out in my mind from um, a peer in another charity I remember just having like a general catch up with him. This was quite a few years ago now. And he actually said the words to me, when are you going to get married and have a baby? And if I was 10 years older, um, also if I was male, I wouldn't be having those comments. Like my personal life has nothing to do with my ability. And when I get married and have a baby, it's obviously no one else's business in the sector. So that's quite an interesting one. I think being female, and a young leader as well comes with extra um, discrimination, maybe is the word. I uh, well, you know, having currently, well, I'm currently on maternity leave, and I can, I can absolutely vouch for the female mother uh, 
uh, discrimination is absolutely obvious, very obvious um, when you're interviewing. Um, when I was on maternity leave for my first child, um, it would uh, easily get to an interview moment you turned up at interview and and those sorts of it's it's a real difficult thing because I never know whether to mention it or not and and you're so right Rachel that actually and Emma is that the organization I want to work for if they aren't going to treat me like um any other employee regardless of my you know age parental status or whatever um but at the same time, it's very easy to say that when there are roles that you would absolutely love to do um, and it feels that, you know, especially at the time, it feels like everybody takes that view. So are you ever going to have that opportunity? And, and that makes it incredibly difficult. It's really hard when you keep coming up against those barriers because, like you said, it does. And it's not something you can change. We can't change how old we are. Absolutely. I couldn't. I can't even tell you how many interviews I went to before I got a, uh, the director role at St Wilfrid's I went to so many interviews and all of them said do you know what your interview was fantastic we loved you um we just didn't think you had quite enough experience yeah it is that quite enough experience and standard that- response <clears throat> and I also gone- yeah Oh, go on. Sorry, Emma. I was going to say, I was, when I was interviewing, I was head of fundraising for a three, four million pound charity. And some of these were charities that were a million, million and a half. And I didn't have quite enough experience. And I'd grown the income where I was quite significantly. So it is a kick in the teeth when you hear that, when you know you do have enough experience. Yeah. And also they can see your CV up front. Mm. They can... Uh, yeah, well, exactly it begs the question, why before. are you interviewing me if you didn't think I had enough experience? Yeah, well, really interesting points. Thanks for being so candid and honest. It, it really kind of hopefully will help help the listener as well to kind of um, think more and consider these things. So um, what advice would you give any younger people in fundraising who are looking to step into a leadership role soon? Um, I think on the, on the flip side of what we just discussed, once you do, you have made that role, I actually think that actually um, job title really kind of, it's quite bad really, but job title really does help you and you do get the respect and you do get the experience. And when you find that organisation, you can add so much um, to your CV, to your experience, um, and it's brilliant my advice for other young people trying to get into those roles is keep at it and don't um don't be turned off by the nose because you have to keep going like I said I went to so I honestly I probably went to 10 to 15 interviews before I got that Mm. role and it's hard it is hard when people say no and you feel like am I ever going to have enough experience for anybody because that's the standard seems to be the standard response but you will get there and and there are some forward wonderful forward thinking um organizations looking for young leaders and to take them on I think it's also and this is where I've been really really fortunate in my roles it's having the opportunity to learn in your organization so to learn all aspects of that organizational strategy and learn you know how to set a budget which lots of people do 
in their roles anyway, you know, learning about compliance, all those aspects. If you learn an organization from the ground up, that really does give you a good grounding for a leadership role. And you can understand and contribute then when you're talking about organizational strategy, when you're in SMT meetings and looking at the next year's budgets, forecasting, trustee meetings, it really does help having that knowledge and being able to do all those different things. So you don't have to be an expert, but I think just having that knowledge. And I was really fortunate that my um, CEO, when I was head of fundraising, exposed me to so many of those elements that it just became normal practice. Absolutely. And I think um, when you um, when you get that golden opportunity of an interview for a, a leadership role, um, have a real think about what interview questions you might be asked and then actually where are my gaps when they ask those questions and go and fill them so Mm -hmm. I knew that when I was moving up through the organization I knew that I had next to no experience of trust fundraising so actually when I was working at Helen Douglas House what I did was do crash courses with the trust fundraisers there went through their pipelines with them worked went through their strategy with them and so actually um, when it came to being asked that at an interview because I knew that's what I was going to be asked because you can see from my CV that I've never done that style of fundraising actually I I had the answers and and whilst I hadn't necessarily put them into practice I'd clearly done my research into what that would entail and and had the avenues to 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 use in the future should I get the role and I think that's really important and like Emma said, cross-organisational um, um, experience as well for not necessarily always just fundraising, but what else can you bring to their organisation? I think we do get stuck in our fundraising boxes sometimes mm-hmm. and actually things like um, wellbeing groups and diversity and getting involved on um, you know, staff groups is a wonderful way. Um, and, and Emma can probably talk more about being a trustee of other um, charities at the same time is an absolutely brilliant way to to get to gain leadership experience yeah I think I was a trustee for nearly three years for a mental health charity here in Bristol and that was completely different to anything I'd ever done before and I think it made me such a better fundraiser understanding it and leader from the flip side as a trustee like what information do you want to see as a trustee so then you go away when you write your reports as a head of fundraising and you think actually my trustees would want to see the similar things that I want to see and being exposed to those decisions that you make in terms of risk organizational strategy again governance decisions I was even involved in premises which I'd never really got involved with um, in my role and all kinds of different things like a recruitment strategy for directors of finance, which, you know, as head of, fun, head of fundraising, you, I wouldn't have been involved in that at all. So I think having that trustee role was so, so valuable and I'm so grateful for that experience. Yeah, some really great practical um, examples mm. there, guys. So thank you. Um, and then I think we've got time for, for one more question. Um, so how can charities ensure that their young leaders are receiving the right support? Go on, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Both like opened our mouths at the same time. I think there's so many different um, ways. I think it's actually being understanding, you know, one, being willing to take on young leaders and not 
as we've talked about, it's, you know, very, very valuable to the organisation. So that's a huge one, actually having the willingness and to look and develop your your fundraisers, your finance professionals or PR, media comms in your organisation. I was really, really lucky. I was developed. I didn't have to go through loads of interviews to get that step up. I had that organisational development plan, which was really, really lucky. And I'm forever grateful for my old CEO for giving me those opportunities. So I think, and then as, you know, CEOs and colleagues, it's being patient and letting people ask the questions I've always said there's no such thing as a silly question and you can learn so so much from that like Lauren was saying about having those crash courses that's a brilliant way to learn all areas of the business so giving people those opportunities um helping provide them with a support network I was really lucky when I stepped up that I took part in a mentorship scheme here in the southwest and got a mentor that way and work let me take at least half a morning off every month to go and have sessions with him and that was a brilliant way to learn from someone that who well, he was a CEO but he had gone through that route from fundraiser to CEO and that was such a good learning opportunity so you know giving young leaders all the opportunities they can to learn develop and grow and they're if your organisation can't afford it, can't afford expensive courses, there are mentorship schemes and finding mentors that can be just as valuable. I think that's really, like for me, the biggest thing is mentoring and coaching. Um, and and I have always had a mentor everywhere I've been. And it's not cost a thing because I've just gone and asked, uh, another, like for example, when I was in the hospice sector, I would just literally, I asked Claire, who's an amazing um, director of fundraising at uh, or director of income generation at St. Catherine's Hospice, she's moved to a CEO, CEO role now. I just, you know, said, would you mind? She was like, yeah, of course, absolutely. Because actually, you know, there's something to gain from learning how another organization does their fundraising anyway. Um, and that was such a huge thing for me where I could ask those awkward questions. How would you manage this? How would you develop that? Um, have you experienced this before? Um, but I think the biggest thing organisations can do is facilitate that. But I think a lot of it comes down to time where young leaders don't feel like they have the time to fit in this extra bit of sort of uh, grabbing experience in different areas. And nor do they feel like an organisation facilitates it either. And and if your organisation isn't facilitating it, then go be brave, go and ask, um, because quite often, actually, they just probably haven't thought about it. And, you know, if you're the organisation, how you can support that? Well, this sort of support in one-to-ones, um, but mostly I think it's about giving or um, um, ring-fencing a bit of time for them to actively go and do this, um, because I think most people worry, oh, well, one morning a week, that's going to you know, have an impact on our fundraising. Um, it's very unlikely to, but also what you gain in other areas from, you know, if you're being mentored by another uh, a director of fundraising at another organisation, what you're bringing in there is is probably more valuable than the, the, the sort of standard fundraising that you're churning out anyway. Um, it's a wonderful network to have. So uh, for me, I think it, the biggest thing they can give is time. And like Emma said, if they haven't 
got um and quite often you know with charity sector we quite often don't have the money to to go on these big expensive courses and actually i say this famously when we met on our lovely brilliant course by the institute of fundraising but actually where have i learned the most is probably mentoring and experience through others um just as much as i have through those courses so they're incredibly valuable for absolutely giving time and I think what you've just raised, Lauren, that's such a valuable point to your last question, Rachel. One of the best things to do is to get a brilliant support network surrounding you of fundraisers from all different backgrounds, all different specialities, because that has been so hugely beneficial to me. So, so many occasions and just having those people that you can talk things over with that understand your role and those challenges that you do face. Brilliant. I think there's something to be said about relinquishing a little bit of control as well. I mean, even I get guilty of this as a leader sometimes is like, um, you know, if someone says, oh, can I sit in on that interview um, or or can I sit in on that on that sort of working group? And I think, oh, it's risk management. You know, maybe, they, you know, there are sometimes things around confidentiality, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, most of the time, it's perfectly doable for people, uh, you know, they're bound by every other employee sort of mm. confidentiality agreement anyway They're, so it's not it's not you know as long as it's it's a comfortable risk for you then there is no reason why we shouldn't relinquish a little bit of control and let people um get that experience and I think sometimes we go oh no 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 we're management and we must take care of that um yeah. but actually why shouldn't they have the opportunity and I think, like you said, like the impact most of the time is only ever going to be positive. Like you're going to learn so much from relinquishing that time, even if it's an hour for someone to listen to a podcast on leadership. I know Carla Miller's got a brilliant series on um, leadership and have, giving someone that hour to just go off and listen to it and have that thought process to, to think everything through is amazing. And yeah, time is such a valuable commodity. Yeah, thanks, guys. Again, some really fantastic practical examples um, that both young leaders themselves and their their organizations that are, are willing to invest like I said not just money but time in these people and I think that's a, a, a really key thing um, but yeah I'm, I'm very sad to say that my first episode is is coming to a close now um, so thank you Emma and Lauren for being such brilliant guests and for being so open and honest in your answers as well thanks very welcome thank you yeah thank you for having us a big thank you to both emma carter and lauren kemp again for being so honest with me today in the episode we learned that age shouldn't be forgotten when creating and implementing your edi strategies for leadership recruitment and progression Having young leaders on your senior leadership team at both SMT and ELT meetings can help bring new perspectives on company-wide issues and help with your charity's diversity of thought. There were some practical tips for both future young leaders and how organisations can bring young leaders on. For the employers, making candidates feel comfortable and thinking carefully about the questions you ask in interviews is key. For you future young leaders out there, Considering gaps in your skill set and proactively learning from team members can be a big help. Plus, considering becoming a young trustee can boost your understanding of charities more holistically outside of your discipline and really help you understand governance issues. Once on board in your leadership role, it is key for both the employer and the employee 
to allow time for the new young leader to continue their learning and development. Having a mentor from outside of your organisation in this period can have huge benefits for everyone. So thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to listen to Charity Chat. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and how you feel the sector can be encouraging more young leaders into senior positions. Find us on Twitter or LinkedIn to share your thoughts or email us on charitychatpodcast at gmail.com. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners, and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. I'd like to also thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Askamit for our beautiful website, check it out at charitychat.org.uk. And of course, we can't forget Forest of Falls for playing throughout the show and playing us out now. I've been your host, Rachel Conroy. Thank you again for listening.